Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from a campground right before we are going to get on a ferry, which will be an overnight trip taking us from wow. Nova Scotia to Newfoundland. New One of the territory. most expensive nights of our lives, <laughs> not only because we have a cabin, but because you pay by the foot. And we are 62 expensive feet of vehicle. I know this is kind of a surprise because we thought we were only 57 feet when we signed up. So and that's they how came, we paid. They came collecting another 300 bucks from us because we are longer than we thought. 62 feet. Ooh. Yeah. So I don't know where I got 57. Well, I added the length of the motorhome and the length of the car. Which makes me think that if you are thinking about coming to the Maritime Provinces, mm-hmm. that one of our people in our caravan brought a truck camper because yes. he was worried that he wouldn't be able to handle the fifth wheel or it would be more trouble than it was worth on these twisty, windy little roads. But you have done great. That's It's worked out very well. Overall, uh, we have been on this caravan now since the last podcast. And, of course, this podcast episode episode is going to be primarily concerned with our adventures in the last month, which fortunately have been, well, fun adventures and not uh, nothing exciting. But as we mentioned to you, we are on this caravan, a 58-day caravan, and we are now halfway through. As we get on the ferry, the first time we put the rig on a ferry, so this will be a fun experience, and we'll have lots of great pictures and stories to tell. And we're having our first night out of the of the rig in months because we are going to get, we have a cabin. Very la-dee-da. You course, have to. Yes. You can't sleep in your rig. Right, and they won't let you access your rig. So people are very worried about the 16 hours that their refrigerators will be off. <clears throat> but, of course... And their pets. Some of these people have pets. Yeah, that seems like a long time to leave your pet. But for most people, it's a long time to leave your, your refrigerator. But for us... We'll see. We're going to test to those eight batteries in the inverter. <laughs> if we come in and when we're ready to leave and there's a huge puddle on the floor, we'll be... <laughs> oh, no. The refrigerator will turn back on and there will be a block oh, of stuff. No, they'll be frozen back together. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be having meals like you never have seen before. <laughs> With a chisel and a hammer. <laughs> oh... Well, actually, I must confess that I haven't been cooking too much on this trip. I keep buying all this wonderful seafood and throwing it in the freezer. (laughs) We never eat it. And perhaps we never will. Oh, I hope these eight batteries work. (laughs) Well, it it should be cool, and we're turning the refrigerator down a little cooler so that in case things don't go bad, it should should be okay frozen for 12 hours just by itself, I would think. I would think, yeah. So when you have a power failure at home, yeah, when you have a, you can, as long as you don't open it. Of course, we won't be here to open it. To so. open it, yeah. But I'm debating whether to leave the automatic gen start on. <laughs> they said that the reefers that the big AT wheelers have are allowed to run in the hold of the ferry. So why not our yeah. general? Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, and you'll have a full report. About and- our block of ice. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> used to be our freezer. And, and spoiled milk. And uh, <laughs> But if ours goes bad, I mean, these other people really yeah. have to leave their refrigerator because they won't let you have any propane on. Uh-huh. And I'm fairly certain that they check that uh and we did Careful. do that in a similar situation yeah. when we did a caravan yeah, in Mexico exactly. with an overnight ferry. And yeah. I don't remember having to throw anything away that time yeah. either. Yeah. Should be fine. So, I mean, our overall impression of the caravan has been good. The The leaders have been excellent, and they are uh, right on top of all the situations. And, you know, they take care of all the details that you, that you would have to do yourself. So, in many ways, you kind of just go along and you say... You just think a day ahead just to see what you're doing. Tell and you me go, what time to show up, and then, I, and then I do whatever it is they're doing. And you go to the whiteboard, and you say, oh, okay, we're having dinner tonight? Oh, okay. <laughs> Where is it at? Oh, okay. And so uh, everything just kind of perks along as far as we're concerned. And if you like that sort of thing, that's good. But from another aspect of it, um, I feel rushed. And, you know, that's the way tours are. you got to see. I mean, that's the way they advertise them. You know, they want you to see as much as you can in a short period of time. But when the weather goes bad or you guys know that I like photography so that I like to wait for good weather and, you know, take my time at stops. When you're on a bus tour, you really don't have time to take good pictures. So we went to Peggy's Cove, which is one of the most famous lighthouses in the world, I would say. Near Halifax. And it was kind of a cloudy day, and I just we just didn't have time to, to shoot. And we didn't have, well, we did. We didn't have time to wait for good weather. Good weather. We, we did go back, but it, we couldn't. Uh, the weather was still bad. So in the last month, month, uh, we have gone from Quebec to the Gas Bay. And, you know, the Gas Bay is something that Americans don't know much about. But they should. They should. It's beautiful there. Yes. And so the Gas Bay is northeast of Quebec City. You're kind of driving along the St. Lawrence Seaway. Right. And... You probably can go on both sides of that peninsula. Yeah, the, yeah. the, yeah. the north There's side doesn't have a good road. So if you wanted to spend some time, you could... The south yeah. shore is the better way to go. And you, the roads uh, take you around, kind of around a thumb. And that's the peninsula that sticks into the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And, oh, of course, there's lobster everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, well, and we were there during the season. And great scenery. Great scenery. And in Pierce, which is at the far end of the peninsula, there is a ga- gannet mm-hmm. rookery. Mm-hmm. And this is a very fascinating thing. <laughs> it's it's really interesting because we did visit this area about 20 years ago. And there are certain things that I you probably have the same situation where certain things just kind of stick in your memory. And our visit to Pierce was one of those things that I've always remembered because of the birds. And that was one of our first experiences with going out and walking among the birds. And the birds didn't pay any attention to us, and they just did their thing. There's so many. Many of them, they're, and they're noisy, good-sized, like gold-sized birds. And with very interesting behavior patterns. Anyway, uh, from 20 years ago, I remember you take a ferry, and we got off the ferry, and there were the birds. We watched the birds, and then we came back. <laughs> but that's not the way it is at all. <laughs> Well, I remembered that we did it from Forlorn National Park, Even which better. was the before per se. So I was a little so, off in that regard as well. So it is, it is good to go back and re, re uh, 
well, replenish your pictures is what I was going to say. Refresh your memory. Refresh your memory, too. So the actual uh, trip to Pearsay, we had a great campground overlooking the rock that uh, a very doesn't house the birds, <laughs> which I thought it did, picturesque too. rock. Right. Huge, huge. Right, scenic. Pearsay rock. But then you go out to the an island uh, that uh, actually has the bird rookery, and it's a national park or something, and it's a good 45-minute walk, uh, fairly steep and up over the, the crest of the, the, the backbone of the, of the island in order for you to get to the birds. And the birds have changed, too, because I remember walking among the birds, but now they have these platforms and stuff. But it's still great photography and you get very a great, great opportunity to see the birds uh, up close, and they pay no attention to you, and they're doing... We watched a nice video about how they... Um, Their behaviors yeah. and how sociable they are and how they mate and when they come and go, and we really felt well-informed before we made that strenuous hike to see Exactly, them. yeah. It's it's on Bonaventure Island. Mm-hmm. If any of you want to go there, we would put it on your list. Yes. So uh, on the trip there from Quebec City, we should talk maybe about uh, our crossing the border. Quite painless. Painless. No problem For the whole group. Nobody lost anything. They just anything. asked us about guns. A lot. Right. They asked us two or three times about whether we, in different ways, about whether we had a gun or any sort of Weapon, mace weaponry. or any sort of weaponry like that. And we don't. So that was, uh, we were honest and we uh, got through with our wine. Because <laughs> they didn't ask us about wine. <laughs> <laughs> because... When you get to Canada, uh, liquor is just outrageously expensive, at least a double and most of the times th- three times what it would cost. Uh, we're pretty famous for drinking two-buck chuck, and two-buck chuck is now $4, but in Canada it would be almost impossible to buy a, a bottle of wine for less than 10 Oh, yeah. Yeah, and even that's uh, too low. So. Twenty twenty-five bottle dollars a bottle, and of course, we're benefiting greatly from the Canadian dollar because uh, the Canadian dollars were seventy-seven cents U.S. right now, and so that helps. But still, ten dollars Canadian is still a lot more than we would pay at home for a bottle of wine, yeah, or you, say, that you have to pay. I would say overall, the Canadians pay a lot more tax than we do personally and in retail settings. I talked to a, a man about it for a while, and he said he thinks that because their country is as big as ours, but because they have so few people compared to us, um, to do things like build roads and hospitals and all mm-hmm. the things that your taxes go to, they need to pay more. So it's very common on our bill to have what starts out as a reasonable bill, but yes. then they've taxed on, tacked on a above, federal tax well, and a local tax, and so. sometimes a city tax. Yeah. And, so um, Canadian taxes are, are, high. are high. And you have to plan for that. So we started off in Quebec, which is a very French city. The whole Gas Bay Peninsula is all French, and it's definitely French. And you better know your the, the a few words of French in order to like gasoline is sans plum without lead yeah yeah but i mean that yeah and consistently diesel has been substantially less than gasoline warming our hearts so we've been paying surprisingly little for diesel uh in us dollars it's about 3 dollars a gallon and remember a lot it's of it's been coming down in price 
a lot of math is involved because you buy <laughs> gas by the liter and then uh-huh. you buy it in the Canadian dollar and then you have to convert the size and the money to try to figure out what you really are paying. Yeah, so I did that math for you. So that's what it is. Uh, so we don't actually calculate it every other each time we fill up. But diesel is plentiful, gas is plentiful. There's no problem with uh, finding stations that will accommodate us uh, as big a rig as we are. We've had no problem filling and, up. And I would say that the French, although it was very present in Quebec, is really not a problem for Americans because most everything is signposted in French and English. That's the law mm-hmm. in Canada. And the local folks, even though their English might be mighty rusty because they haven't studied it <laughs> since high school, are in there pitching and waving their hands at you while you're waving the, your hands at them trying to figure out what it is we're trying to accomplish. And people were friendly and helpful. Uh, I know that sometimes Paris has a bad uh-huh, reputation yeah. for snotty French people, yeah. and that's certainly not but the I case. I got kind of tired of the signs where I couldn't tell what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, but that's just me. But uh, the campgrounds have been nice. Uh, I think a little bit nicer than we expected. We've had excellent 30, thirty amp and fifty amp excellent in most places. internet in many in places, most places and adequate internet in most places. As you remember, I think we talked about it in the last podcast about our. No, maybe we didn't talk about it. Well, I came. We the first thing we did as we crossed the border into Canada was to go to. Oh, about poutine too mm. stay tuned you're mm. going to hear something exciting about poutine mm. so we went to a in quebec we went to a store that sold sim cards you know the the typical uh cell phone store and oh yes we will be glad to sell you a sim but you have to have a canadian address uh, and, and an id, ID. Because you can use your friend's address so just an address. that pretty much, they will sell us a SIM card, but the deal is like you get 300 megabytes per month for $50. So we have not been able to put SIM cards into our iPad, which was a disappointment. Um, our iPhone has the Verizon service, which I believe we mentioned last month, where we get 100, 100, 100, 100 minutes, 100 texts, and 100 megabytes per month each. Not even worth discussion. Not even worth discussion, <laughs> but uh, it does keep the phone activated here in Canada without For any, an emergency. And you, and you could use it if you needed to. And uh, in talking to everybody around uh, in the campground, um, it seems that AT&T and everybody offers about the same plan. So there is no good deal up here. Although, oh, I should put a link into this. I did get an email from one of our listeners about the new plan from T-Mobile, which is uh, data-based. So uh, look for that in the show notes. Let me write it down. Anyway, we'll put that in the show notes because uh, if you're thinking of coming to Canada, this might be a viable option to do the AT, uh, the T-Mobile Mexico, U.S. and Canadian data plan, so that they offer a wide variety of a wide, a large quantity of data for you to to access. Those of you who have been traveling with us for a while <laughs> remember that we were able to buy SIM cards in London and India right. for very reasonable rates. And the young man who tried to help us at the Canadian Telus was that where we mm. went? The Bell, whatever it was, said that he suffers the same fate when he comes to mm. the U.S., yeah. which made me wonder if there's some kind of Quid collusion in place here, here yeah. uh, for the ridiculous rates. So he was very sympathetic and tried to be helpful, but. It didn't but help. But looking back on it now, um, halfway through the trip, 
I don't think we needed it. We have had internet in every campground, and some of the campgrounds have been good enough to stream. And many of the places where we have eaten have had internet. Tim Hortons, which is kind of the main fast food chain of Canada, uh, a step up from McDonald's, I would say, usually has decent internet. Uh, So we've been able to keep in touch and well-informed right right away, all, all the time. Right. So that's uh, something to consider, and I don't know if you need anything else. We have used, we have set up our satellite internet several times, and it has worked fine, but it's primarily because the the campground internet slows down so much when when you get... When we all come together, we all all have needs. Right. And, of course, the satellite internet is... Not the fastest, but it's always there and reliable. So there, we've had some frustrations overall, but uh, we would not do anything different than what we've done, I think. Another thing that surprised now, me, because I was expecting a lot of forest camping in Canada, is yeah, that most yes, of the campgrounds yes, we've been in have had wide open skies. So it, you, the Internet, we usually use it at the campground, but you've been able to get more or less the same TV right. stations from home, although as we are traveling <laughs> further north, they are beginning to dwindle. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I expect that by the time we get to Newfoundland, our dish, as you know, is a 1.2-meter dish, so we get direct TV fairly uh strong signal most of the time but now here in uh, on our almost uh, departure for Newfoundland I find that we are getting less and less of a signal and that many people have uh, just given up if you have an 18 inch dish in a dome forget, forget it. it we haven't been able to get it any place in Canada according to uh, others on the trip we don't know how much the campgrounds cost because we've prepaid. In and a so big lump sum. We just uh, come into the campground and they assign us a campsite and we are set up and ready to go. As we said, we've had uh, three-way hookups almost everywhere, although they tell us that there's going to be one day of at least one day of boondocking and there might be some campgrounds coming up. We're spending about three weeks in Newfoundland, so that'll be almost the entire time for the next month uh, that we will be without... Well, 20 amp. We'll see how that goes. And for this expense, just as a an aside, this costs us about $150 a day upfront cost. For, so all the services, including many meals and the tours, the bus tours and everything. So it's it's a reasonable deal for two people. However, you understand that we're paying the transportation and most of the food. Well, half, half the food. of the food. Yeah. It's amazing how many Leos we've had. Let's eat out. Yes, a new f- term for when us. When you have Cameron. a Leo, it's on you. When it's part of the tour, it's not a Leo. Right. We go out to eat, and uh, they pick a restaurant, and we just all head to there. And we're surprised at how many people go out to eat virtually every night. More than we do. Another thing our tour includes, which I would strongly recommend if you plan to spend any time in Canada, is the National Park Passes that they have, which not only gets you into the national parks, but a lot of the historical sites and tourist facilities that are part of the Parks Canada chain are all for free once you've got the park pass. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to spend any time in Canada, I would recommend getting one. And the last time when we did it on our own, we ordered it online Mm -hmm. and had it sent to our home, so you don't have to wait to buy it till you get here. But that say that could save you a lot, a lot of money. Of, a lot and, of money. And they have provided it for us, as she says, and uh, it's, it's saved them a lot of money because they don't have to pay by the item. And then you just walk in. It's it's nice that way. Uh, so other places we've been, um, we've been, we did a, a tidal bore rafting trip. 
Um, <laughs> New Brunswick exciting. has a very small channel called the Bay of Fundy, and because the tide gets funneled in there and the rivers are pouring in there, uh, when the tide comes in, it creates a tidal wave of how, how many feet? They said 50, uh-huh. but it's not a single wave. The tide goes up 50 feet, but there's this wave that these boats meet, which was about three feet high, I would mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. and and then it creates lots of turbulence, and they take you and race you through the turbulence. I would compare it to Class 3, Class 4 rafting experience. Yeah, but you chase the rapids. I right. mean, so the rapids are changing their location. And there are no rocks because right. you're going over what used to be a sandbar and is now covered with Right, but the water comes water. in amazingly fast, and in two hours it went up at least 50, well, 50 feet on the shoreline, I yeah, would say, because yeah. we had to walk down through some very slippery mud, mud to get on this. But it's a very exciting experience and something you just can't do in most parts of the world. We would recommend it. And then you did something. Well, I did the the mud sliding part of it. <laughs> My um, underwear is still brown <laughs> and not from... <clears throat> As you can imagine, with the tide going up and down those vast distances, the um, earth gets super saturated and mucky. And so before the well, water comes all the way up, you have like steep riverbanks that are very mucky, and they drop you off, and you clamber to the top and get on your buns and slide back <laughs> down again. Uh, and, and people love it. We were totally yeah. filthy. Yeah. And we were surprised that the water wasn't that cold. No. And because they let you jump out of the boat and float at along one point with and float it. Over. And the current as that was created by the tidal bore was swift, swift, uh, very swift. But I, when I was in the water, I traveled as fast as the boat did, so it didn't feel like I was going to be swept so away. So we were in these eight-passenger Zodiacs with an outboard motor on it that was completely waterproof because there were times when the boat was completely full of water. And it has a self-bailing system, which automatically empties it, which was quite cool. It was mind-boggling and, and how that motor could keep in the motor, chucking Yeah, along. and they, so they had to waterproof the gas tank and the ignition and all that sort of stuff because the engine was almost underwater sometimes. This was a three-hour tour, cost 100 bucks or so, which was additional. We had to pay extra. Mm-hmm. And it included lunch and stuff. And well, not everybody wanted to do no, it. No, right. But it was, an exciting, it was an exciting trip and something you definitely want to do in the Bay of Fundy. Now, the Bay of Fundy is interesting because we're going to be back on the Bay of Fundy when we go back to New Brunswick. On the other side on of the it. the other side of it. But this was on the... Nova Scotia side. Nova Scotia side. So that's where you do the title bore. Because we wondered why we having been to St. John's a couple times, why we hadn't seen that before, and that's why. We've also had lots of lobster to eat, and I'm wearing my lobster crossing shirt right now. (laughs) Uh, As expected, we uh, have put our pot to use and cooked Fred and Wilma. We're shaking their hands. And we've had a lot of lessons about how to catch a lobster, how to put a lobster to sleep, how to cook a lobster. Did you know you could put a (laughs) lobster? We're going to have to get the video of that one. You can put a lobster to sleep so that it will be immobilized. So it'll be calm when you throw it in the water. Well, that in is the a, boiling water. Yeah, we have to get a couple more. Yeah, we haven't since that demonstration. We haven't done live lobsters. Other wildlife besides lobsters. Not that much. No. Well, we saw a bear. We saw eagle, eagle porcupine. porcupine. I'd never seen a wild uh, porcupine yeah. before. But no moose. Some people in our group have but, seen them, but we have not. Not many moose. 
certainly it hasn't been prominent. And if you want wildlife, I think you go to Alaska. I mean, we're kind of blasé about wildlife and this, uh, this kind of wildlife because, because we, we've been to Alaska, right? And uh, we don't come up here for that. This is somebody said that they would rather come here than Alaska. Why? Yeah, well, that would be my question. Uh-huh. I mean, this is Alaska without the scenery. Yeah, well, yeah, a less dramatic scenery. Well, there's no mountains at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no there's seascapes yeah. and, and cliffs and stuff, hills. but not. I mean, it's in Alaska, you go, dramatic. wow. Yeah, not and of course, dramatic. snow and glaciers and. Yeah, well, there's to me the scenery. There's just no comparison. And so far, the summer weather has been very pleasant. Yes, um, low seventies, I would say. Yeah. Occasionally, we wear shorts. Most of the time, shirt sleeves. Uh, so yeah. it's a nice place to be when you're hearing about people sweltering back right, home. Right, right. So. Canada has treated us well. Our credit cards are interesting because they really want the ones that have chips. So I think probably by the time that you would come to you would Canada, them. you would have a chip card. But every place takes chip cards, and they're used exclusively. And we've had some interesting exclusions with our debit cards that they want the name of the credit card on the credit card. On the our card. Visa card does not say Visa on it from Chase, and which has caused, caused me problems just today. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, we have trouble they don't want to take it if it doesn't have Visa or MasterCard on it, written on it. We have trouble paying at the pump. <coughs> paying e- at the pump Even though impossible. we swipe our card and do what you're supposed to do that doesn't like it. But, of course, Canadians are in the United States have the same problem. Because they don't have we a zip have, code. Yeah. But it's really not a problem that you just pump your gas and go in and pay for it. But it's yeah. a little awkward compared to how we would know how to do it at And, home. of course, because we carry 150 gallons of diesel, we don't stop very often, so it's not that big of a deal. But if you have to do it every day, as many people do, uh, if they have pickup trucks, then you know that could be a little bit of a hassle. But that's the way it goes. And getting cash, though, has been no problem at all, really, just going in. <laughs> We've been surprised. You don't see ATMs everywhere like you do at home. Less so. Less yeah. so. You can't just go into the grocery store and get cash. Even at Walmart, I didn't see that as an option. You don't uh, say, you know, give me $50 cash back. That doesn't seem to happen. And so you have to go to an ATM, and for that you have to go to a bank. So I think we're charging more than we do at home. Yeah, because it's easier. It's just easier. Yeah, it's just easier because the credit cards are common. And I would definitely have at least two credit cards, and one of those should not be a debit card because the debit cards are a little tricky. I don't know why. Different things work in different places, yeah. and even when we aren't dealing with the French, we're not sure why. Yeah, yeah, and they can't, and they don't know why either. It just is not accepted. So you want to have, and we've had a couple of people. Where were they? And they they charged it, and it was at the oh, it was at the grocery store because they said, oh well, we just paid cash. Oh, at Costco. Yeah, at Costco of all places, yeah. right? And that's another thing with the stores and things that we found. Um, liquor is sold in liquor state government liquor. run stores, but we did go to a cool one, as as it is in some of our states. Some yeah, of our states have yeah, one. but not in Illinois. We went to a cool one that had fill-it-yourself wine bottles. For a much lower price. Much lower price. Well. So you you bought or brought with you a case of 
glass bottles, and they Washed. had they probably, had washers there too, didn't they? Yes. Yes. So if you brought them from home, you could Wash sanitize them, them there. <laughs> and they had, I think, eight different spigots of wine. Some were blends, common things like <laughs> Cabernet and Chablis Blend. and things like that. <laughs> they were cheap shit wine. <laughs> and they had um, little plastic wine glasses, so you could taste first and decide what you wanted to buy. It was a wonderful experience. And then you put your bottle up to the spigot and filled it, being careful not to overfill it, because then you had a pound of cork into it with the corking machine. And, and we had to learn all of this and stuff. And the staff was very kindly helping us um, figure out figure out what to do. Twenty of us there. And after all the sampling that took place, it kind of turned into a giant cocktail party. <laughs> it was very fun. The joke was is that you fill up your bottle too full, and, and how do you get rid of the excess? You have to drink some. <laughs> So this is a very cool place, though. I mean, I've never seen this uh, available in the United States. No. You didn't see the containers of wine. They had just a spigot that comes out of the wall, and there were probably ten. Oh, and then they gave you labels, so you and could they gave label you labels, and they had a machine—not a machine, a, a manually operated corker that was very easy to use once you got the hang of it. And you, so you corked your bottles. Eight dollars and fifteen cents to buy twelve glass. Bottles. Uh, empty bottles, and or as she said, you could bring your own. And then the wine was in the order of uh, it was six ninety nine and seven ninety nine. Very reasonable. For very Canada, for Canada, especially. very reasonable priced. So it was a lot of fun, and, and we don't know whether they do that in other places, but uh, it certainly was fun in that place. It looked in Nova Scotia from the website like there were places that do it and places that don't. Uh-huh. You could do a search and check off that you wanted to go to a liquor board that had this feature. Right. So there are all types of rigs on this trip, um, as we're finding out, because today is kind of an unusual day. As we mentioned, we're getting on the ferry, and actually this begins and ends uh, two caravans. So some of the folks on our caravan are signed leaving up, us. Yes, signed up for only the first half because that was one caravan. And then the second caravan starts here and goes into Newfoundland uh, for the next month. So today is a transition day because all 22 rigs are here. Some people do not get on the ferry with us. They go home or do whatever they're going to do. And then we pick up eight new rigs that will be traveling with us uh, on the Newfoundland part of the trip. So that's kind of an unusual happening. And it is because I think this trip is so long. And yeah. that some people just want to go to Newfoundland. I think we did the right thing doing the whole thing. It would be easy to We've do done it the, on your own. Yes. And we have done it on yes. our own. Yes. And we did the whole thing prior to this. We've done virtually everything here. 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. But uh, so the new stuff for us is coming up in the next month. But it's been fun to revisit and uh, to get on the on the caravan and meet all the people and, and get to know what the, the schedule and stuff. And, of course, with a caravan, um, a factor totally out of your control is the other people, unless you bring all your friends with you. Um, and we are happy to say that for the first half, uh-huh. we've had a very congenial group who go with the flow, who are prompt and courteous and friendly to everybody. There are no clicks. I've liked these well, people because they ask a lot of questions when we're on tour, mm-hmm. so I 
I learn a lot of things that I hadn't thought of to ask myself when they ask questions. And I certainly hope that the new people that we are taking on will have that same camaraderie and spirit that I've enjoyed. Because we have been on a caravan once where people did not blend well at all. And it was a huge detriment to the fun of the trip and very taxing to the people who were trying to be in charge of this Civil War <laughs> band of people. We were part of a civil war. Yes, we were. Uh, so there are all sorts of rigs, though, on this trip. And it's been good that we've had the able assistance of the tail gunner. Because in one been camp, working hard. In one campground, we had a... They pulled into the, they pulled into the campground, and their, their fifth wheel axle was smoking. And he pulls up to the campsite, and the wheel virtually falls Fell off. off. Oh. Fell off. Can you imagine that? And so... Having people around who can help, and this was an interesting campground because we were there during the music festival, and we were at a KOA that was a hundred yards from this huge music festival, and we we heard uh, Keith Urban and Rod Stewart, Rod Stewart, free concert for us because everybody else was paying big bucks, a hundred bucks or something to we get into the concert. We could hear everywhere. <laughs> right from our rig. Anyway, we were there for four days, and because it was in PEI, and you know, RV repairs are unbelievable. There was a some guy, some company, who came to the campground, removed the axle, repaired it, brought it back in two days. And he was ready to go been, when we were ready to and go. And they were, because we were there for four days, they were able to get it fixed, and on the road, a couple thousand dollars cost... But it was well worth it because otherwise they would have been stuck or if they'd been stuck on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. So we've had <laughs> several slides that have not gone in and out. A coach that couldn't get electricity. We've had that had electrical problems. We've had... I think that's it. No, no, there was... Oh, the guy whose crankers can't go up and down. He can't get his oh, yeah. so pickup a fifth, truck out. A fifth wheel. This would be a real problem. A fifth wheel. Without a group, this would be a real problem. Yes. Because there's a fifth wheel who can't get its jacks down to unhitch from the truck. And they ordered new motors, motors for them, and it hasn't. They came and they put them in, and it still one, hasn't fixed the problem. One helped and one didn't. And oh boy! So you know, having a, a bunch of minds thinking about these problems and uh, coming up with solutions and help to install because this guy is not very technically savvy. And even we have had a couple of interesting situations. Well, one of our little drawers migrated migrated out of the wall while we were underway, and so when I opened the slide, I heard this crunching sound because it ripped off the front of the drawer. Hey, but... You fixed it. It looks Perfectly. beautiful. But, but and more, then our infamous computerized toilet has gone well, berserk and wouldn't flush, which is a huge problem when your but, toilet doesn't flush. But you fixed it. And you, then uh, you're but, a great tail <laughs> But then we were driving down the road and people were pointing at the back of our RV. Oh yeah, that was the very first day. It was the very first day. The day we crossed the border. Yeah, they're pointing at the back of our RV, so I pulled over. And they said you had something hanging out, and and our mud flap flapped goes, off. <laughs> we have no idea what happened. So uh, I, in the middle of the road, I took it off, re- totally removed it, and saved it. And we look at it, and, I, and we have no. It was obviously fairly heavily damaged, damaged from yeah. something. 
and we have no clue what happened. We were on good roads. We good didn't roads. back up or no. do anything. Yeah, overall the roads have been pretty good. Some of them are kind of skinny. And by the way, we should also mention that the GPS has worked really well, well, and here. they didn't necessarily follow the route that we were on, but the GPSs have always registered and taken. Found all the campgrounds. Found the campgrounds and, and yeah. stuff like that. So uh, GPSs are, as always, a wonderful asset and, and have worked well. But other rigs we've had, uh, we have... Uh, several very old rigs. We have a 1992 something or other yeah, for travel. Yeah. And then today we're getting uh, a little trailer. And another class. This is the first travel trailer that, that we've seen on this, on this trip. And I want to add, having just re-listened to part of last month's podcast, that the grandma who brought her 11-year-old grandsons, that worked out amazingly yes. well, too, because of her. Yes. She was very um, conscientious about what they would enjoy and what they wouldn't, and she didn't bring them to all of our activities because some of them would have been boring. But whenever she did, the kids were great. And She I, took them to paintball. And I think they... Somehow we didn't want to do that. They enjoyed the trip, and, and we enjoyed them, so... Yes, they were nice, nice young men, a and good possibility right, for, and she kept for the them, grandmas. Right, but they didn't participate in many of our activities. No. But she enjoyed having them with her. So even kids along, um, a, a regular travel trailer. We now have a Class B that's traveling with us, a road trek. So we're getting, uh, you know, these caravans are for all types of RVs, no matter what you want to tow, and all ages. And all they, ages, they tend to skew older, yeah. but they don't need to. Yeah. And certainly our um, tidal board trip was not for old people. No. As a matter of fact, we had kids on ours. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, so the tech t- hit of the of the trip has been the RV Rogue. <laughs> and you, you know, Ken always reads about these gizmos and gets excited. And sometimes... And for good I, reason! Yeah, sometimes I feel oh. slightly dubious or confused. And um, usually he just buys Mostly stuff confused. whether I think it's a good idea or not. Oh, yeah. And when he bought the Rogue... <laughs> We, I guess we're in good places where it didn't really make a difference to us. Mm-hmm. But on this trip, it surely has made a difference to us. And so, to many people. And, yeah, and you, you've created a guest sign-on to the Rogue so that other people can share from its drawing power. So the Wi-Fi Rogue, which if you check back a couple of episodes is on the website, but it's called Wi-Fi Rogue, and if you do a search on that, you'll find this device, is a small device which is a Wi-Fi extender, but it is a high-power one. So it has an external antenna that the Wi-Fi Rogue connects to, and if there is Wi-Fi within a half a mile, it will find it, and if you have the passcode and that sort of stuff, it will allow you to sign on. Uh, the Rogue has a couple of very nice features. Uh, the The interface that you use as the end user is very slick, and it needs no software to access it, but it just does its job. And there have been several campgrounds where... The Wi-Fi signal at our site was low. In other words, we couldn't get it with our phone or our iPad. And you understand that the phone has a very small antenna, the iPad has a little bit bigger antenna, and that laptops have a bigger antenna because the antenna goes around the display. And the Rogue? And the Rogue has a, well, it's a permanently mounted antenna that's about two feet long on the roof. 
So if it's going to get a signal, it's going to get it. And it's better positioned because sometimes other right. rigs block us we've from had, getting we've a had signal all sorts inside of, our home. We've had all sorts of problems. And this solves many of them because the antenna is always there. It's not impacted by the interior of your RV or the orientation of your device because you understand that if it goes around the outside of the display that it is directional and so that you're going to have to take your your laptop or your iPad and rotate it and you get a better signal. But with the Rogue, because it re-broadcasts the signal in a much stronger way, it it uh, allows you to uh, use your iPads and phones and stuff inside your coach without any problem at all, if there is a signal that it can get. It's so, also been helpful because it asks for one IP address and then oh, we can log on to it. This is technical. <laughs> all of our iPad, phone, computer, laptops, and share it with our friends with their computers and laptops. And, and we're all sharing just that one IP address because well, some campgrounds are limited in how many they offer up. We've had several campgrounds up. where they, one campground would only allow two devices per rig, and one campground had a fee. So we paid $5 for, for everybody. For everybody. <laughs> Because it takes the one signal and distributes it among all the devices that want to hook up to it. And even if you now come that, to a, I do control that, but I mean that's basically the way it works. And even if you come to a campground that gives you little slips of paper with um, passcode yeah. numbers on them, and you have to type them in for each device with the rogue, you just do it once. Once, and, and then all the devices, and you never have to reset. We just leave ours is called the the Wise Rogue, so it, we just set our devices on Wise Rogue and Wise Rogue. Logs in to the campground, and it never gets off, which is another good thing. So you don't lose just, the IP. Just, just today, we're having trouble. And maybe I should mention that we have had many <laughs> explanations of this in these campgrounds because people come to the campground, and this happened to us today. They come to the campground, and they try to log on. And if there are a lot of people on, they have a limited number of IP addresses that the access point can give out. So if all those IP addresses are gone, are being used, then what happens is is that it says that you can't access it. And that can be very frustrating, especially if there are a lot of people using them. And, of course, one of the things you want to do is try out the, the different access points. Even though they have the same name, uh, each access point will have on the order of 250 IP addresses to give out. But, I mean, we use five or six just ourselves, <laughs> so because so it's, it's not hard for a campground to give out more than 250 IP addresses. And when they're gone, they're gone. And you just have to wait for somebody to release their IP address, and that's not always easy, to release their IP address in order for you to, you to get on. So I don't want to get too technical about this, but you just need what happens is you just need to keep trying and trying and trying, and when you get on, then you will have access. And the, and the campground here has very high-speed access, but you have to get on. And I spent over half an hour with the Rogue trying to get, trying on. To get on. But the good thing is, is that once the Rogue is on, unlike your laptop, when it goes to sleep or you shut it up, it releases the IP address. The Rogue does never goes to sleep. So it always keeps the IP address so that you will be have access regardless of once you've got it for, for every all, all the time that you're there. So we hope that not everybody gets a rope. <laughs> 
We keep talking about the Rogue, and I know it's a brand name. Does it mm. have competitors? Are there other... Yeah, I think this is the best one, though, mm-hmm. for us. And it was about $350. I've talked about it before, but this is a, a time when we've really had a chance to put it to use. And I have it enthusiastically. Right, and it's a marine product, and it's designed to be ma- mounted on a mast I have on our ladder in the back, and it's worked very well there. And I have it so that <laughs> if it hits something, because it sticks up above the coach, if it hits something, it just kind of flops down, even though it's not a, an antenna that is designed to work that way. I mentioned last month this uh, new app that I had called Track My Trip, and I hope that you have downloaded it because it's actually very cool. And if you go to our Google page, I put up a link and things, and I'll put it up on the on the episode webpage too. But it uh, allows you to quickly put in waypoints and then puts them on a map so that people can watch your trip. And you don't need any data to do it. You don't need any data to do it. It, it puts waypoints on... And they can be uploaded later. It puts waypoints on with pictures, and you can put down what you were doing there and has comments. It's very slick and very fast to use so that you can just kind of mark your spot and then move on. And at some later point, you can upload those to the website. So if you take a look at those, you can go to trackmytrip.com and look under RV Navigator. You probably can get our take a look at our map. One of the interesting things about it, though, is, is that it... Uh, does point-to-point mapping. So, so the that, more you log on, the more it will really draw your Right, route. so it doesn't care about roads. So sometimes it, just it, looks, straight lines it looks like we things. flew across the water <laughs> when, in fact, uh, we, we drove, did. but I didn't put any links on at some of the crucial points there. So my intention is to kind of just keep track of the campgrounds that we stayed at. I put in every campground, uh, some of the these tourist attractions that we've been to, some of the lunch places and dinner places. I don't know, just kind of have a an idea of where we have been and it's that's what it says it does and that's what it does and it's free free wow which is even cooler at least for one map Uh, another topic we want to talk about briefly is power do you need a power monitor we've had one of the first times in this coach that we've had bad power and we had some situations where (laughs) With our inverter, we never quite know whether we're on power or not, but we had a situation where every other pedestal, in other words, every other RV, was getting low power and below 100 volts. We were one of the lucky ones. To get the 100 volts. (laughs) And our power, power management system kept shutting us off from the outside power because the power was too low. And this is kind of a pain in the neck, but it is a good thing on the other hand because it protects, it protects, your protects, your, it protects all your, your rig from uh, low power. And we didn't really, didn't have to monitor it and didn't monitor it. Plugging into pedestals, we were at one place where they said, don't plug into the 220. But if we had been just ordinary people, the that's not, not the 220, the 50. Sorry, the 50 amp. We would have. We 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 might have plugged in. There was a the the plug was there, but they said they are having trouble with their their 50 amp, so we didn't plug in. But I'm not sure the campground would tell you that. But this was kind of word of mouth from previous RVs, caravans. caravans. So uh, be careful. And if you do not have not a surge protector but a power management system, I would strongly advise you to get one, especially if you have an expensive coach. And there are people here on this trip who do not have it. 
And have nice coaches. And have nice coaches. And especially if you're going kind of uh, out of the way places. In more marginal parts more of the marginal world. marginal situations. You might not. Uh, and I'm going to put up this link on the website that has some pictures of people who have had some problems. <laughs> and you don't want to look at them. <laughs> like melted components and stuff? Oh, yes. Well, where they blew up the pedestal or things... <gasps> Things really happened. Oh, my. Well, what else should we talk about for the trip? Well, we didn't even talk about Prince Edward Island at all. Oh, Prince Edward Island, yeah. I have all these great tips and things to talk about here. I've got six well, pages of notes, and we haven't even gotten through one. Well, when we're not camping, they will come in handy. So we'll just keep them until next about. month? Yeah. I think it's been an interesting podcast. I hope our listeners do. A travelogy kind of Yeah. We, uh, we've gotten lots of good emails this month, um, but most of them I just answer back to the person because they're not uh, generic topics mm-hmm. that I think we want to talk of about. But we interest. really appreciate the emails that you guys send us and uh the hits to the web page oh and i wanted to apologize for oh i'm sorry about this yeah. i did want to apologize because at the beginning the podcast, of last month we weren't really there well i put up the podcast just as always and for those of you who understand this process which i don't you need what's called an xml file which is what you access in order to find out if there is a new podcast episode for you to download and for some reason, the XML file that I uploaded was not right. I don't, and I don't have. Did any you ri- do something? I don't know. And it didn't have to do with being out of the country or using other internet. Or- I don't think so. I mean, I I make the XML file on my computer, <clears throat> so that has nothing to do with being out of the country. And I uploaded it just like I always do. And I really appreciate you guys sending me alerts, <laughs> telling me that it's not working because you understand that when I uploaded <clears throat> the XML file and then. I test it to see if it downloads on my computer, the the new episode, and it did. After that, I can't tell because I can't re-download it as a rule. I told you that I couldn't download it. Right. And I took that as a... A, a minor factor. A, a beginning of the of the problem, but several of you listeners did an, did the right thing and, and sent me an email saying I can't download it. And you also told me that you could download it off the website, which tells me that the podcast episode was there. I gave you a hint, right? But that the XML file wasn't right. So that was what happens if you don't. Uh, are not able to download it from iTunes that, and check the website, and if you can download it from there. And, you know, if you take a look at the URL, it's pretty obvious uh, how to download it because the URL is the same every month with just a slight change in the episode number and the month. So if you uh, – and and as a hint, I put it up several days early. So if you really want to be up on the RV Navigator <laughs> – you can you can download it early. I'm sure this episode will be up fairly early also. Well, we, we have because to, what to happens, do it when we can do it. Well, I have to upload it when I have the, the, data, the data bandwidth, and then the XML file is just like a little email, and so I can put that up almost anywhere. So uh, I generally upload the actual podcast itself early, but you're not supposed to know that. So upcoming, uh, we are going to be headed off on this ferry, and then we take another ferry back to this mainland, back to Nova Scotia, after we are done. And in between, we head up to Labrador for a day. Um, We wish it were longer. Yes, but we're not taking the rigs. So between now and when you hear from us again, we will have been on four ferries. 
two with the RV and two to Labrador and back. And we will have done all sorts of new territories for us to visit and to tell you about. And we know that one of you will be at a campground near us, but not quite near enough to make us connection. In Newfoundland. Yeah. That's it's interesting to me that one of our listeners is spending quality time yes. up there instead of zipping around like we are. I would love to compare notes with them and yes. see how their experience is compared to ours. Yes, and we're hoping for good weather. Um, the weather has kind of turned bad, but it's it's coolish, but 70-ish. Comfortable. Well, actually 20. But we would like more blue skies. Yes. We have to get used to using liters. Centigrade. Centigrade. Kilometers. kilometers. I like kilometers. You feel like you're really getting somewhere. Yes. That takes care of uh, this month, I guess. We are very happy that you tuned in to listen to us. And, well, maybe somebody will be in Newfoundland and be in a campground near us. But if not, we will be headed back through Maine uh, at the end of the... At the end of August, and that will take us back home before Labor Day. Before Labor Day, so we are looking forward to hearing from you via email, and we are glad that many of you have uh, taken our idea and listened to us while in the driving. entirety of all the podcasts while you're driving. While you're driving, so that's uh, very heartening for us to hear exactly the way we expect the podcast to be used. Although. However you want to use it is fine with us. We're very happy to have you listening, and we hope to see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future. Happy travels. Bye now.